Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. As we get started this morning, I want to make a few statements to you just so we can set some parameters around what we'll be talking about today because we're continuing and finishing up on the religion of the tribulation or how God puts an end and closes off the religion of the world and how he judges that. Because remember that in, in sin, sin affects all aspects of life. And one of those things that's lived out is a religion that is not like Christ, not in relationship to God, but it just carries out the activity of religion. So I want to make a few statements to you. First of all, the most important thing of all is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's more important than any church that you're a part of because that's how you're a part of the true church. See, God knows the true church, and the true church are those who know Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. It's not whatever the title is or the name that's on the sign. It is the fact that you are a part of the family of God. The second thing is that we need to base our lives and live our lives totally upon God's word. This is God's authoritative word and it has power over anything else, any traditions, any ideas, any thoughts of man. And that if we get away from this word and what the word says, we're going to be in danger and we will adrift away from the truth of the word of God. All right. So you need to have that in your heart because that's the most important thing of all. A personal relationship with Jesus and the Word of God. Now, I'm going to be sharing with you today, picking up where we were last week, about this religion of the world, the religion of the tribulation that is going to be dealt with by God and how He's bringing and finishing out things and redeeming all of the world, not just men, but redeeming all the world. So let me give you some summary statements of where we were talking about last week in Revelation 17. First of all, it introduces us in, in uh, verse 1 to this great harlot who sits on many waters. And this great harlot is the religion of the tribulation. It is this false religion that is in the world. And we found out that it started very early and it's continued through human history. And it will have its ultimate culmination when it is unbridled, when it is unbridled because the Holy Spirit is departed and the church is no longer there. And the, the greatest influence of this tribulation church is going to be during that period of time. It is a false religion. It is a great harlot. And it is an ecumenical one world religion. That's why it says, when it says it sits on many waters, if you look down in verse 15, it tells you that the many waters are a picture of the multitudes of the peoples and nations and tongues. There is one, a one world religion at that time who is over everything and everything is brought back together in relationship to that. Now, the next thing you need to write down in regard to that is that it has a lot of political power. It has great influence over the government. You see that in verses 2, 3, and uh, about verses 7 through uh, 12. When it talks about in verse 3, it says, 
And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of the blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Beginning there, then in verse 7 and on, it goes on, describes about this beast. That is the beast, the Antichrist. It's talking about the government that is under the control of the Antichrist. And this woman is sitting on top of the beast. In other words, this world religion, this ecumenical one world religion has great power and influence over the government during the tribulation time. It has great influence over the beast. And that's the Antichrist and those 10 kings who are in in, under his authority, this one world religion has great influence for three and one half years. All right. Halfway through the tribulation, the government, the old beast is allowing this one world religion to have great influence, impact upon them because they're leading and it's leading towards a purpose and a plan that he has, that he ultimately has. I shared with you also, not only that it has great influence, it is also the fact that this false religion had its beginning back in the days of Babylon. You remember that? The name that you come, the name that is on her forehead is that it's Babylon, the great harlot. Which tells us this, that the beginning of this one world religion, the beginning of this false religion has its beginnings back in Babylon. And when I shared with you about Babylon, I shared with you about Nimrod, who's the one who started the city of Babel, but he had a wife. Her name was Semiramis, and Semiramis was the goddess, the priestess, or, or the uh, one who is the ultimate one over all idolatry. She was the high priestess of idolatry. I told you about her son, Tammuz, who the legend has that he was killed by a wild boar, and then she grieves for 40 days and after 40 days he comes back to life and he begins the worship of what we call mother child worship the mother child worship and all of that began in Babel when there was only one one language you remember that in Babel and then what happens God causes them to have confusion and they spread out throughout the whole world and you find in every segment of the world there is a false religion where they have this worship of a mother and a child Worship, And I gave you all of the names of those things. And all of that begins back here in this time of Babylon. That's why it says that this harlotry and this carrying on of this harlotry goes all the way from Babylon to the tribulation period, the tribulation time. Now, with that said, I want to pick up in verse number six. In verse number six, he describes this woman. Listen to what it says. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. Underline this, please. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? Now think about this just a minute. Why is it that, that John, when he sees this, he wonders at this woman? Well, first of all, he wonders because this woman, remember, is the religion, and you could call it the church of the tribulation period, that this woman who's the church of the tribulation period is, first of all, so different than the church that he knows, how is, how is this church different than the church he knows? The church that he knows is the humble church 
It's a poor church. It's a one that's been persecuted. It's a one that's not thought well of. And this church that he sees, all of a sudden, when he, when he saw it, it, it was dressed up in verse 4. It says it was dressed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious jewels while having abominations and practicing the immorality. That was not the church or the religion he knew. That was not the church that he had come to understand. It was not the church that he lived in. So he was wondering the fact that he would see the church, that church of the tribulation, that religion of the tribulation with all the pomp and circumstance that it has, that would cause him to wonder. But the second thing and greater than that was what he saw them doing. It says there in verse number seven and verse number six, it says, and the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses. And I wondered, you understand why he would wonder, don't you? I mean, he had been, he understood what pagan Rome would do to saints and Christians. He knew the persecution that the political Rome would bring upon those who were believers in Christ. He was a recipient of that even while he's here as he has been put on the Isle of Patmos by Domitian. He's seen many of his brothers and sisters persecuted, boiled in oil. They have been killed. They have been ridiculed. He has seen that happen, but that happened from political Rome. That happened from pagan Rome. Now it says that here is this woman, this church, this religion that should be in love with God, that should have a relationship with God, that should have a desire to please God, that it's this woman, this great harlot, this religion that is literally killing the saints. That it's killing this religion. And he wondered at that. It didn't cause him to wonder that political Rome was persecuting the church, but to imagine that this tribulation church is persecuting the church. How could that possibly happen? How could that take place? Well, the answer to that is picking up with a story where we ended up last week of how could it possibly be that the church, that the church, the religion or the church in the tribulation time could kill saints would destroy it. How could that happen? Well, it happened because of the fact of what infiltrated the church. What happened in the church? It's all in history. Go read it. Okay. But I shared with you about Babylon. I shared with you about Semiramis and the false religions and all of those false practices that were happening at that time. Also shared with you that when Babylon was defeated, Remember the high priest of the, it was called the Babylonian mystery. The high priest of the Babylonian mystery took with him his disciples along with the sacred uh, things that they had, the sacred items that they had. And they went and they found themselves in a city named Pergamos, which is one of the seven churches of Asia. But not only that, they didn't stay just in Pergamos, that they eventually moved to Italy And that they set up their headquarters in Rome. They set up their headquarters in Rome. And it became not the Babylonian, not the Babylonian mystery. It became the Etruscan mystery. 
The Etruscan mystery, there in the midst of Rome. And so here where the church is, and here where the church is, is beginning to grow, also this false religion that had its beginning with Semiramis is beginning there within Rome and having its influence in a great way. Then something happened historically. You have studied Western Civ. You've heard of the emperor named Constantine. Remember Constantine? Now, whenever you think about Constantine and you look at him to begin with, he supposedly was converted. You remember the story about the, the, mist, the dream he had with the shield to put the cross on, he'd win the victory and all of those kind of things. And, and a lot of people in Western Civ, even Christians, they will applaud and say, Constantine became a Christian and radically changed Rome. Yeah, the truth of the matter is, he didn't really become a Christian and he did change Rome, but not to the good. See, Constantine became a Christian. He was converted to Christianity, but he was not willing to give up his heathen religion. In other words, he wanted, he wanted a little bit of Christianity and he wanted a little bit of paganism. That's what he wanted. And so he wanted to establish a religion that was Christian. He wanted Christianity to be the religion of the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire was crumbling and he thought Christianity had the power to hold it together. So he wanted to become Christian, but he couldn't let go of the pagan ideas. And so he wants to wed them together. That is dangerous. That is dangerous. He is doing it for a political reason. Do you understand that? And he's wanting to wed those things together. So you know what he does? He appoints himself as being the head of the church. He appoints himself to be the head. He's the emperor, but he took on the title Pontifex Maximus. Pontifex Maximus. Now, that, let, me, let me tell you a little bit about the Pontifex Maximus. Do you know where that term comes from? It is not a church term. You're, you're not going to read that in the Bible anywhere. It's not going to be anywhere in the Bible. Do you know where it comes from? It comes from that heathen religion of the Babylonian mystery. It comes out. Matter of fact, what they would do in that false religion, they had crowns that had fish heads on the crowns. Okay? The fish heads on the crowns. And what it was, it was known as, what it was written across the crown, it was the keeper of the bridge. You need to write that down. The keeper of the bridge. These who were the high priest in that false religion were the keepers of the bridge. That bridge is between man and Satan. They're the ones to keep the bridge between man going back and forth between man and Satan. Well, eventually... They took on the title Pontifex Maximus. That was Pontifex Maximus in that heathen religion. And you know what it means? It means the major, the major or the most important keeper of the bridge. The major, most important keeper of the bridge. Pontifex Maximus. Get that in your mind. He now is the leader of the church, and he's going to take on the title of Pontifex Maximus, which comes from the heathen religion. 
And now he is Pontifus Maximus. And when Constantine gives way, do you know who becomes the Pontifus Maximus next? The Bishop of Rome. The Bishop of Rome takes on the title of Pontifus Maximus. And the Bishop of Rome eventually becomes what we call the Pope. And even to this day, the Pope is identified as Pontiff. Pontiff. That did not come from the Word of God. That did not come from Scripture. It came from heathen religion. And whenever you marry heathen religion with Christianity... When you take the traditions of man and put them with the word of God and you do that primarily to be a political power, not about religion, it's not about relationship, it's about being a political power, you are in trouble. And that's what happened to the church of Rome. I'm not trying to hear to blast anybody, but I am going to speak to you truth. I want you to understand truth, all right? And and, in regarding to that, what happened with the Church of Rome is under Constantine and under all that heathen influence, they began to place all kinds of things within the activities of the church that are not scriptural, but rather have the birthplace, have their birthplace in heathenism. For instance, the mother-son worship. The mother-son worship that comes from heathenism is practiced in the church of Rome. It's the idea that Mary and baby Jesus. Well, I love Mary, but Mary in the Bible is a humble virgin chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus and bless God for Mary, all right? But never in the word of God is Mary elevated to a position of Jesus. Never in the word of God is there an adoration for Mary that she is like God or like Jesus. But in the church of Rome, it was elevated to that degree. Do you understand? That is false. That's not true. I brought something to just give you a quote or something for you to see. I wanted you to hear this. In regard to Mary. These are some quotes now. Some quotes from some of the saints. And I don't mean believers. I mean those who have been in sainthood with the church. Listen to this. There is no one, O most holy Mary, who can be saved or redeemed but through you. Did you hear that? That's St. Germanius is his name. Saying in the glories of Mary. Listen to this. Here's another one. As we have access to the eternal father through Jesus Christ, so we have access to Jesus Christ only through Mary. By thee we have access to the son, O blessed finder of grace, bearer of life, and mother of salvation, St. Bernard. Listen to this quote regarding the relationship of Mary to the Holy Spirit. Mary is so perfectly united with the Holy Spirit that he acts only through his spouse. Did you hear that? Only through his spouse. 
All our life, every thought, word, and deed in her hands at every moment, she herself must instruct, guide, and transform each of us into herself so that not we, but she lives in us. As Jesus lives in her and the Father in the Son. Who lives in us? Jesus lives in us. But according to that, what did it say? Mary. You ask me how I know he lives, not that Mary lives in my heart. Do you understand? The title that Semiramis had was the Queen of Heaven. Do you know what Mary is referred to? The Queen of Heaven. Such practices as these things, the idea of holy wafers, the idea of holy water that sprinkle upon to make someone holy or right. The idea of eating the body and blood of Jesus called transubstantiation. The Catholic church does not believe that you take it. It's a symbol and it literally becomes the blood and body of Christ. That is not in the word of God. That is a heathen practice. Not only that, the idea of purgatory, that you can pray somebody out from the dead, or the idea of praying to the saints or the statues of the saints, 40 days of Lent, all of those are practices of heathenism that was brought into the midst of the church because they got away from what? The word of God. And Constantine brings that in, and Constantine is wanting to do that, and the church all of a sudden is entrapped by that and follows in the same path with seemingly a good purpose. What is the good purpose? They wanted to reach pagans. They wanted to reach the pagans. So this is what happened. The origin of the Catholic Church is a tragic compromise of Christianity with pagan religions that surrounded it. Instead of proclaiming the gospel and converting the pagans, the Catholic Church Christianized the pagan religion and paganized Christianity by being attractive to the idolatrous people of the Roman Empire. One result was the Catholic Church became the supreme religion in the Roman world for centuries However, another result was that the dominant form of Christianity began to be apostatized from the true gospel of Jesus Christ and the true proclamation of God's word. In other words, this is the point. We don't become more pagan. We share a clear gospel that brings somebody out of paganism to Christianity. You're not going to affect anybody by watering it down. By making it sound better. By helping somebody feel like they fit in. You don't fit into Christianity. You are separated from the world to be a part of Christianity. He calls you out of the world to be different from the world. And it, it clouds everything up. It clouds it up. And then here's the real issue. Whenever that happens and you leave the word of God and you leave the truth of God and you don't really have the spirit of God in you, then you can be caught and to do things that are unthinkable. For instance, that this church is going to be killing saints and in the blood of saints and all of that kind of, how could that, he was wondering that, how could it happen? Well, we know we're on this side of where John was. We know how it can happen. We know it's taken place in history. 
Don't we? Yeah. I think we need to read a little more history. Get your history books out. Read them. It has to do with your spiritual life. I promise you. It has to do with your spiritual life. Let me share with you a little bit about what happens in history. Is it possible that the church, at the church of the tribulation, persecute saints because it has happened in human history? Oh, yes, it is. A time in human history when the church of Rome cared more about political position and influence than the souls of men. Now, let me stop there just a minute. We're going to have an election on Tuesday, and I hope every one of you are registered. I hope every one of you vote. You need to vote. You need to be a part of it. But here's the difference, all right? We are to be actively involved, and Christians should run for office, and they should be a part of the political process. But we don't want the church and politics tied together. I don't want the political realm telling the church. I think the separation of church and state is a great thing. Bless God, amen. That's how this nation was formed. That we would have the freedom to worship and the government can't tell us what we're supposed to be doing, all right? But whenever the church gets to the point that they're more political than they are about reaching the souls of people, it's trouble. It's trouble. Haley's Bible handbook contains a detailed section on the Inquisition, which gives a view of Roman brutality through the church. There's a quote. The Inquisition was the main agency in the papacy's effort to crush the Reformation. It is stated that in the 30 years between 1540 and 1570, no fewer than 900,000 Protestants were put to death. The Inquisition is the most infamous thing in history. It was designed by the popes and used by them for 500 years to maintain power. It has been estimated that the church has slain has slain 5 million servants of Jesus Christ through the processes of the Inquisition. Did you hear that? And when you think about that kind of killing, you're not thinking about being the church. See, what you don't understand, if I would have preached that in 530 B.C., they'd have come drag me out. They'd have hung me out there or done something to me out there. That's what would have happened. So in the fact that it can happen, and it did happen in history, now you can understand when, it, when it's going to be the church, and it's, the, it's not the true church of God, but you find out it's the church, and it's now unbridled because the Holy Spirit's not there, and the true church is not there. Now you can understand why he sees all of these saints in the tribulation period being killed. Just as in the past... During the tribulation, those who are believers will suffer intensely. They will suffer intensely because of that great harlot. All right? Now, that one world religion is going to rule and reign for a while. But at three and a half years, at three and a half years, that world religion will be destroyed. Let me show you that. Look here in Revelation 17, verse 12. And the ten horns, which you saw, are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they received authority as kings with the beasts for one hour. They have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. 
Those 10 kings have only that they want to worship the beast. They want to honor the beast. They want the beast to do whatever the beast wants to do, okay? It tells you about what they're going to eventually do in verse 14. These will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are the faithful and chosen of God. They're chosen and they're faithful. Listen, it tells you, it's just a little one verse there says, they're going to do war eventually against the lamb of God, against the son of God. And he's going to win. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. It's like he says, let me, let me give you a little air here. Take, take some air. Jesus is coming. He's going to win. But in the midst of this, what's going to happen? Look at verse 15. And he said to me, the waters which you saw with the harlot sit, where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now listen to verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. Look on. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose for having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God should be fulfilled. This is what the picture is. For three and a half years, this this tribulation church, this tribulation false religion is going to be rampant. It's going to have influence over the beast. It's going to have influence over the kings. It's going to be a major factor in the government. Now, the whole time, old beast, antichrist and Satan, they're sitting back and they're knowing that this false God, this false religion, this false harlotry is serving their purpose, is helping them along the way. Now, they're not a real church. They're not a real religion. They're not, they're not a relationship with God. All those who, have, who are the true church went to be in heaven, amen? And all those who are left on the earth are not in cahoots with them, but rather are being persecuted by the beast and by all those and by the church. So the real believers aren't a part of that. This is a false religion, but it's going to have such power, such influence that the beast is going to say, let it roll, let it roll, do whatever. What, they're joining in on what he wants to do, and what's that? Kill the saints. (laughs) Amen? Let it happen. That will happen for three and one half years. But at three and one half years, the Antichrist, it's already told us, the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to break the treaty that he had established with the Jews. At the very beginning, he established with the Jews a treaty where they could rebuild the temple and where he would honor them and give them the freedom of worship. And it looks like the Jews think and accept him as the world religion and the world leader. But at three and a half years, he's going to come. He's going to walk into the temple of Jerusalem. He's going to demand that he is now God and he is to be worshiped. He's going to place in that temple an image of himself or something that's a picture that is to be bowed down in worship. And he is going to demand that the entire world worship him and him alone. And at that point in time, under his leadership and under those 10 kings, they're going to put down and put to death that false church. That false church, that false religion will have no more influence. It says what's going to happen right there. It says they will, verse 15, they will hate the harlot. They will make her desolate. They will make her naked. They will eat her flesh. They will burn her up with fire. That false religion will have served its purpose in obese mind, the antichrist mind. And now it is no more. It will be no more. 
Mankind itself under the leadership of the Antichrist will destroy that false religion. Will destroy that false religion. And I want you to notice something very important in this particular passage compared to what we're going to look at next week. Next week is about the political and economic Babylon. God dealing with the politics and economics of the world and put it in place. You know what's going to happen next week? Whenever that Babylon of politics and economics, it's called money, it's called wealth. Whenever that gets struck down, do you know what everybody does? They weep. They cry. Because nobody will buy their goods anymore. Because nobody's going to have money anymore. So nobody's going to be able to provide economics anymore. They weep. But here, when this old harlot gets struck down, not one person in the world weeps. You know why? Because it didn't really matter to them anyway. See, that false religion didn't mean anything to them anyway. It's just something they were doing. But it wasn't a part of their heart. It wasn't a passion of their life. And therefore, no one weeps. But there's something else to know. And that is, that's an encouraging word to you and me today, my friend. Listen, if you're a part of the true church, the old beast can't walk in and do what he wants to do because Jesus is Lord over his church. Amen. But whenever the old beast takes them down, takes this church down, this group down, there's no one to stand for them for they are not under the lordship of Christ for they are not his church. And that false religion will come down and in its place will be the worship of the Antichrist. And there is no option. You will worship him, you will bow down to him, or you will die. Or you will die. Listen to what it says there in verse 17, though. Let me look what God's always in charge. Amen. For God put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose. Talk about those kings and, and the Antichrist, they're all fulfilling God's purpose. Don't you like that? I mean, God's going to judge. He's got to judge the sin of the world. He's got to judge the religion of the world. He's got to judge that false gods of the world. He's going to judge that. So how does he judge it? He judged it through the beast and the old 10 kings. They're going to take it down and it fulfills God's purpose. For God has put in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God should be fulfilled. In other words, he uses them as an instrument to get rid of the false religion. And it's coming up a time that he's going to be getting rid of the beast. And he's going to get rid of the false prophet. He's going to bind them and throw them into the abyss. It's all a part of his plan, of his purpose. Verse 18, and the woman whom you saw is the great city, which reigns over the kings of the earth. There are three major cities that are in the time of tribulation that the, that the beast and the Antichrist is going to care about. One of those is Rome. Another of those is Jerusalem. And the final one is Babylon. Each one of them serves a great purpose. In regard to that, this harlot, some think it's Rome, where they reestablished Roman Empire. Other people think it could be Jerusalem at this time because the old beast is going to come and he's going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to establish his worship at that particular time. But it says that the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over kings. Now, 
All of those things are, I hope you'll go and fact check everything I've said. Amen. I hope you'll go. You, you don't even have to get an encyclopedia. You just go to Google. Go, go, just, go, just go look it up. All right. Just go look it up. I promise you. I promise you when you find it, you'll find tons and tons of information that are regarding this. Okay. Regarding this. What do we need to take away from this though? I'm not going to be here. Are you? I'm not going to be here when this is all taking place. All right. I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to have to deal with that false worship. I'm not going to have to deal with that at all. But what does it say about us while we live here? Of course, obviously, we need to tell anybody and everybody who doesn't know Jesus, they need to get saved. Amen? They need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Not to be in the church. Not to be in the church. Have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's how you get saved. Then, as you get saved, you become a part of the church. And then you grow in the church. But the church doesn't save you. No church saves you. Roman Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, Methodist Church, no church saves you. Relationship with Jesus saves you. So that's what we need to be telling everybody. Have a relationship with Jesus. Have a relationship with Jesus. Know Jesus Christ. Another thing is we need to tell people what I said. This is the word of God. If it's not in here, don't believe it. (laughs) If it's not in here, somebody's added something to it. Don't take it. Don't, Don't believe it. Judge it by the word of God, all right? This is important. That's why I want you to read the word. That's why I want you to study the word. That's why I want you to be in Sunday school. That's why I want you to be in worship. We want you to know the word of God. For as you know the word of God, you will know truth. But here's some other things that I want you to write down. One of the dangers of our day is this, the digression of the spiritual condition in the world and in the true church is an open door for the church of the tribulation to transition. Hear what I've said? See, we have to remember, what is the church of the seven churches of, of, of the revelation? What is the church prior to the tribulation time? What was the name of that church? What is it? I'm not going to talk to you. Y'all don't know the name of the church, the last church before the tribulation period? Laodicea, well, bless God, I talked that effort. What in the world are y'all doing? Laodicea. That's the church before the tribulation. What is the characteristic of that church? It's what? It was lukewarm. Spiritually lukewarm. Listen to me. Listen now. The fact that in our churches today and in our world today, the spiritual condition of our world is getting more and more and more compromised, more and more lukewarm, more and more what it prophesies it's going to be. It opens the door for the church of the tribulation. Do you understand that? And you're going to find, and we find in our day, there is a constant push to no longer be separate. No longer be separate. But rather... To lose all conviction and distinction just to fit in. I have more discussions with Christians about what they should do or couldn't do or ought not do so that they can be as much as they can in the world but still be saved. Well, you think, can I do this? And can I say that? Can I act this way? Can I go to that place? Can I do that? And still be saved? Well, bless God, why don't you ask what you can do to be holy? 
What can you do to be more like Jesus? But in our world, we're trying to fit in. Everybody fit in. And every time you're trying to fit in and every time you're compromising, every time that you go over there and you're not being separate unto God, you are moving in that direction that's just where it's going to have to be for the Laodicean church to transition right over into the tribulation church. Do you realize that? Stop trying to be like the world. There's going to be one time that you're going to be glad you're not like the world, and that's when Jesus comes to get you, bless God. You ain't going to want to be attached to nothing in this world at that time. Well, quit trying to be like the world. And I hear people all the time compare us, Southern Baptists, you know, we're conservative, and we believe these things, we believe those things. Do not apologize for that. For see, all of those other denominations who practice all these other things and do all those other things, go and read their history. Every one of them used to be just as conservative as we are. But they got compromised. And Lord, help me. If I'm the only one standing, I'm not compromising. I'm not compromising. I'm going to be separate unto God because he called us to be that way. He called you to be that way. And every time that you fit in, try to be accepted so everybody will like you. They aren't supposed to like you. You're supposed to point them the way to Jesus. Do you understand that? Point them to Jesus. That's what they need to make a difference. That's what God wants us to do. Make a difference in this world. Be careful. Less the temptation to fit in. Because that's just following the path right down to one just one leap over to that tribulation church. One leap. Or maybe just a small step. The word of God truth of the gospel, love for Jesus, separated life. Be what God wants you to be and be proud of it. Amen? Be proud of it. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.